welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is Suyin, the DJ Bear, and I'm your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Affairs and CFRC, so thank you very much to both. Now, if you have missed the shows at any time, you can download the podcast the next day via CFRC Podcast or on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Happy New Year, 223, everybody. And if you missed last week's show, you're probably wondering what happened to your regular host, the wonderful CJ the DJ. Well, as you know, we like to do things a little bit differently from time to time here in Grad Chat. So I am once again hosting this episode of Grad Chat and putting CJ the DJ, who is calling in from New Zealand to chat with us on the spot. Welcome to Grad Chat again, CJ the DJ. Thank you for joining us. How are you? Well, first of all, kia ora, because um, I am in New Zealand now, as you said, as opposed to I usually would say day, but I'm going to say kia ora today, being in New Zealand. And it's, it's wonderful. Thank you. And I, again, I appreciate you taking the reins to host the show this week for us and uh, thank you for being, for calling me in on the show too thank you for happy letting new me year. i hope you had a great new year happy new year to you too i i did thank you very much are you ready to come back to canada we miss you i'm not too sure i'm ready to come back to the cold weather because i've rather oh, enjoyed no. being in summer both in australia and of course now in new zealand but uh it, well, first of all, it's been you know, been wonderful to catch up with my family again after three years. And I don't know about everyone else, but I'm very close to my family, so I always miss them. And three years is way too long. So yeah. I've had my fill, which is great, a full month work being with them. And that's been wonderful. And now, of course, in New Zealand, I'm with my brother. Whether he likes it or not, I, I arrived and going to stay with him for a couple of days before coming back to Canada and looking forward actually to getting into the new term because we've got some great things happening for the rest of the year and now I'm refreshed I am ready to go that's great you know I'm going to put you in the spot right from the start because I have been meaning to ask you this question and I'm sure our listeners are curious to know (laughs) does your family listen to Gratchat that's you know that's a really good question I know they do from time to time. I know absolutely it is not every week, but they hear from me because I talked about, oh, you know, when we're talking sometimes online with each other, I go, oh, I just did this great interview with such and such. And then, you know, you can guarantee whether my, one of my sisters or um, one of my nieces will go on. And even my, my nephew, of course, will go on and have a listen. So they don't listen to it regularly, but they do listen and then they can sort of join in and come back with comments like, oh my God, I had no idea this happened or what have, what have you. And so uh, I haven't quite got them to listen to it every week, but they know there's some interesting research that goes on here at Queen's and they're always fascinated by it. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you for answering that question because I was really curious this is the time with our students. If they did a grad chat during the year, they're able to show it to their families. Exactly. <laughs> and, this and is what I did. <laughs> this is what I did. This is what I do. And and I, and I recommend that to everybody when you are at family meetings and to record a grad chat because it's a great resource for that. And then when they ask you, what do you do exactly? Then you go, here. Let, let, me, let me explain <laughs> in terms that you may understand. It was interesting, actually, because I remember the first time I talked about grad chat and I brought up the... The interview, which is many years ago now, and it was about arsenic and rice, <laughs> and I've never forgotten mm-hmm. it. And I and I 
remember bringing it up because mum was cooking a curry that day and cooking the rice. I said, hey, mum, you know, you know how we used to just what you always tell us to wash the, the rice because to get rid of the starch out of it. I said, yeah, that is still good. But there's other reasons as well. And she goes, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you realize arsenic sometimes has, you know, minute sort of parts of arsenic in rice. So we have to wash it and, you know, you can wash it for about so many times it reduces the levels of arsenic in your rice. And she goes, what? And I said, oh, listen to this grad chat show. (laughs) So I got the whole family listening to it. And that's that's what got them started. And they go, okay, well, we never really understood. Was there more to washing rice than just getting rid of the starch? And I don't think many people do think of it past that. Of course, after that session, I could add a little bit extra in there. Absolutely. I think that's true. I find myself doing that as well. And I hope that our listeners, too, they get to learn so much, especially because when it, when it comes to graduate research, you know, it, the point of grad chat, like we said last week, and we repeat every, every time we, we have this discussion together, is to make all of this information and very complex information mm-hmm. On accessible to to a general audience, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to understanding things like how vaccines work or how yep. cancer cells work or even how policy work, how we think about education, education policies and curriculums and things like that. So it's, it's surprising. And I think people will be surprised that a lot of the things that are published, for example, are not always accessible. They're they're written for a specific audience, for for an audience in in the field. And I think that these graduates, our students are wonderful, are, are, first of all, helping us understand what the basics of the research is. Mm -hmm. And that could include how just defining polymers, for example. Yes. (laughs) I'm getting to know a lot about polymers. (laughs) Me too. We're very fortunate to have this show. I know that you have a couple of graduates coming up for 2023. One of our upcoming episodes this term, it's Mona Cancel, who's a PhD on chemical engineering. Can you tell us a bit about her research and why listeners should tune in? Yeah, it's interesting. Mona has just defended and passed her degree, which is fantastic. In fact, I first met Mona when she was doing a master's and she came on 3MT, the three-minute thesis. And she, at that wow. stage, she was looking more at plastics. She's moved on from there. She's still looking at polymers. That little word polymer keeps coming up. But now it's looking at the coronavirus. And so, you know, some of the work that she wanted to do, she couldn't because of lockdowns and what have you but she's looking at the coronavirus and how it's how the actual little virus itself attaches comes down it gets into the bloodstream and then how it attaches to the a cell and then from that they're hoping then you know this is she's just coming up with modeling what they call modeling is this particular one how does it attach to the human we know the coronavirus has changed over the since we first got it in 2020 you know, went from different strains to the Delta and now, of course, the Omicron. And with that, the, the shape of the virus changed as well. So it went from a sphere to an ellipse, ellipsical and things. Anyway, Mona, of course, can explain this a lot better than I can. But basically, she's looking at when, you know, once it gets in the stream, looking at the structure of the virus and the structure of our own cells of how is it attaching to us which causes the issue. I mean, if it's in the stream, it could just go straight out bloodstream. But if it's actually attaching to us, that's when it becomes a problem for us. And then also does this this virus, when it's starting to break down, is it still a problem for us or is it is it not a problem anymore? So like I said, there's a lot more to it than that. But again, there's, there's all this research that's come out because of COVID. So one could say COVID has actually allowed us to do 
a lot more in in depth research in, in a lot of different areas that affect us or could potentially affect us and then hopefully what we've learned from that can help us in the future for other, other health issues and things that's awesome so you that's have to awesome. people have to wait for that one because like i said yes. uh, mona explained it a lot better than i did <laughs> <laughs> you did a great job I, i'm always very impressed do you feel nervous when you have to summarize someone's research? Uh, totally, because I'd hate to get it wrong because it is their work and not mine. And some are easier to explain to other people than others. I mean, at the time, the way, for instance, Mona explained it made total sense. Do I remember all of it? No, but I remember some of it. And enough to know that what she's been researching is important. Yes, absolutely. You also have Bailey Milne. PhD in epidemiology. She's going to be talking about the effect of infertility, mode of conception, and endometriosis on congenital anomalies. So it's going to be a great learning experience to, <laughs> to find out what all of this means. Well, exactly. And that, first of all, I thought another one on endometriosis, but you know, it is it is prevalent, unfortunately. But what she said, I mean, Bailey's only at the beginning of her PhD, and what she's looking at is more looking at the data right now. And from the data, because she clearly loves doing math and stats, from the data, she's looking at these different areas such as, you know, is this couple in um, having infertility problems and therefore what modes of conception have their doctors prescribed to them to sort of help them get pregnant? And then what what happens if, if the fossa has endometriosis? And then in the end... What are all these effects? Are they causing some of these congenital anomalies in the in the babies? And so looking at the stats along the thing, you know, looking at the overall, if all these things are in play, are there congenital anomalies? If we take out endometriosis, is there still congenital anomalies just because of the potential of the, the mode of conception that they've been given? You know, whether it's a tablet or in vitro fertilization, those sorts of things. So they'll be, she'll be taking out bits to see, does taking out one make a difference? Does taking out two make a difference, etc. To the uh, congenital anomaly. So she's still very early in her in her project. Like I said, she's only first year, but she's got a lot of data that she can be using to see, you know, what are the effects of infertility and uh, congenital anomalies. That sounds very, very, very intriguing. It's a lot. Of, it's a lot of math. It. That's all I could thought. Yes. That's a lot of math. <laughs> Do you ever find that some of the students that you interviewed before make it sound less scary? Oh, totally, totally. You know, we keep laughing about polymers. It's that is not an easy field. I mean, unless you're in chemical engineering, you understand what a polymer is. And I mean, there's not just one polymer, right? There's all sorts of polymers for different reasons. And the hard thing about some of that is that, you know, you can be working on one very specific polymer and looking at its structure and, and you know, what's its capabilities. And that's great. But that's you know, a small part in a very big picture. Of course, for us on the show, that's it's it's great that you're working on that. But what's what's its effect in the bigger picture you know what's it what is how is it being applied so you're studying this why are you studying it for what reason and what's it going to affect and that's where you know it's not always easy in some of those fields to take working on the minuscule to explaining how it applies in the big picture because quite frankly yeah i i couldn't 
I couldn't care less really about the structure of it. I just want to know, is there something that we can use that's going to be cost effective, efficient, it's not going to hurt me, mm-hmm. hurt me or the environment, that kind of thing. So the fact that it's called a polymer and called such and such and such doesn't mean anything to me. But what it can actually do does. Yeah. And that's the bit, the beauty of, of the show is to find out with this research, which can be quite in-depth, but how do we apply this to mm-hmm. real lives, real-world situations? Do you find that students in the humanities, for example, who are doing projects who are more oriented or grounded in the social sciences and humanities, do you find that they struggle more in, uh, because when we're talking about research that is conducted in the health sciences, mm-hmm. for example, that, that connection is a bit more clear of that impact of what is it going to do, even for political science or education, like it has some sort of goal towards a structure or right. towards finding something that is already being questioned or explored, for example, or do you find do you find that students in the humanities and social sciences are able to do that through Gratchat as well, to make those connections? Or do you find that it's a bit more difficult since we're not used to talking about it as, mm. in the same way? It, it's a good question because it's a bit of both, to be perfectly honest. Cause sometimes in the sciences, um, health sciences, engineering, um, and, and uh, physical sciences, sometimes the student forgets the big picture and you have to remind them, what's the importance of doing this research? What's the, what's the reason for doing it? As opposed to, you know, my, my supervisor gave it to me to do, that's why I'm doing it. But there's a reason why you're studying this. And so we've got to remember that part of it. And on the other side, it's very easy to say, well, we've got this cancer, we want to fix it. So here's one area we can look at. So that's, you know, the flip side of it. But then with the humanities and social sciences, to be honest, a lot of the times, in my opinion, and it is only my opinion, it should be easier because... If you look at history, whether people like history or not, they've heard of history. And as long as you say, well, this is what happened, da, 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 da. And it depends on how you want to talk about it. Are you wanting to talk about it at this particular point in time, i.e. say it's, I am only looking at the 1800s, between 1810 and 1820. The reason I'm looking at that is because I found this, this era fascinating because of da, 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 da. You could, in that, you could just talk about that period or you could talk about that period and then show what's the relationship to now. And I think Sean Mars did that really well when he was talking in the Three Minute Thesis and on Grad Chat about surveillance in Paris in the 1700s. His research is on that period. And we can say, well, okay, that's nice. It's a bit of history. That's lovely. But he can also say, well, yes, I, 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 that is my research, but don't forget, you know, surveillance goes on today <laughs> just yeah. just in a different format and mm-hmm. so what I'm highlighting is not only you know the players that were there at the time so to speak but but why they were doing it and how they did it whereas and then we can always see well okay they did that then so it was more spying on people so to speak or taking letters and and bits and pieces like that whereas today a lot of it's electronic or cameras and things so you could easily show the connection to today even in some of the things that you've done in English I mean when you're looking at the food how food and, and diet played a part in English literature you can still relate that to today 
but you can also relate back to okay that's why in that particular time you know if you were wealthy you got to eat beef and if you didn't you probably got a you know a, a potato and a carrot kind of I mean, it's a bit of an extreme but all those sorts of things help right and so i think in humanities and social yep. sciences at times personally i find it easier to connect with an audience because we've probably heard more of it than yeah than at the micro level that you do in the sciences that's fascinating i didn't think about it that way thank you for that that was a long way of explaining it i know (laughs) no no but you know this is what we do and this is why i encourage everybody to sign up for grad chat because you get a great conversation with cj and she asks amazing questions <laughs> trust me she helps you i can throw oh, the odd my dog. odd curveball every now and then <laughs> yeah. well not all the gratchas are about student research as we know sometimes again we, we just change it up a little bit mm-hmm. in in the episodes and i know that you have i one coming up that it's not about graduate research but it's about supporting graduate students and postdoctoral fellows so can you tell us a bit of, about that mm-hmm. interview coming up with uh, Carolyn McRae and Clarissa DeLeon? From yes, which is event. actually next week. So um, I don't want to give too much away. But what's important, I mean, as you said, they, they work for the Centre for Teaching and Learning here at Queen's, which is a really important support service for our grad students, our postdoctoral fellows, even for faculty. And what they do there, of course, is they have a lot of programming to assist anyone who's going to be teaching in, in this environment, in, in the university environment. So whether it's helping develop curriculum or whether it's giving them, helping them to determine what your pedagogical philosophy is for, for teaching, all those sorts of things. And they have programs all the time. Some are catered specifically, for instance, for grad students or postdocs, and others are more sort of general. And the nice thing is that they actually even have grad students there working with them. So a lot of people working with CTL right now are former grad students or grad alum, and they've gone on to to work there in academia, in that side of academia. And then they also hire current grad students to help in certain areas of their programming, such as the educational development offices that they have. And those people are there to sort of assist any grad student, for instance, who wants to be a TA and needs some assistance. And so it's going to be it's going to be a great interview. I'm looking forward to it because I know they've got a lot more to say than what I've just said there, because I don't want to give too much away. But needless to say, is they're an extremely important resource here on campus for anyone who wants to be teaching. And we shouldn't. No, we should we should remember that they're there because they're here to support us and that means they're supporting our grad students which is important to me absolutely i agree i'm so glad there's going to be a special episode mm-hmm. i encourage everybody to tune in for that as well with that this is a great way to talk a little bit about what's coming up at the school of graduate studies mm-hmm. and postdoctoral affairs because i mean we're talking about resources for graduate students what is happening or what's coming up the SJSPA this winter? Yes, well, first of all, of course, in winter, in January, we have a new intake of grad students, not as many as, of course, we do in September, but we do have students starting in January, so we will be welcoming them on January the 10th, give them a a few days to sort of get themselves settled, and then we'll have a nice little reception 
for them and I'm really looking forward to to meeting them we'll bring some of our inclusivity fellows along to say hi and some other current students so just to make them feel welcome and to help them start their own grad community that it's, it's really difficult coming in in January because you don't have all the other orientations like you would in September when most of them are on but and so the hard part is you know everyone's already got into their coursework and know people already so this is a way to sort of get people to um, meet each other and start creating their own little community to help support them along the way so so that's the first thing then of course uh, TEDx Queens U that the uh, Queens chapter they will be running their annual conference and I know you know there are students who have put their name in to be speakers I'm not sure what the the schedule is for that right now but that's always a great conference and an opportunity again to listen to people about the work that they're doing um, so so that's really good and then I think the big thing for me too you know we've got the three minute thesis as we always run in this in the uh, winter term and then a part of that too is Queen's will be hosting the Ontario 3MT again. The first time we held it was in 2013. That was the very first one in Ontario. And we, we figured it was our time to do it again. So we'll be hosting the, uh, the Ontario three-minute thesis in May. We'll be holding it at the Isabel. But of course, before that, we will have our own three-minute thesis competition to see who will represent us at the Ontario. So um, lots of workshops coming up for the three-minute thesis in the next couple of months. So people should keep an eye out for those. Um, there, there will be repeat workshops, but sometimes it's good to come more than once because it gives you a bit of a better idea of how to prepare your three-minute thesis. And of course, I've had some programs ask me to come and deliver it directly to their program, which has been a lot of fun as well. So there's those things coming up. And then, uh, of course, the PhD Community Initiative, one of our main programs that we run here, they will be holding what we call their capstone event. And I can't remember, I think it's in April. It's either April or May, where each of the community projects, the people working on those projects will be able to present to an audience. So, you know, we're hoping we can get the community out as well as Queen's people to come out and listen to those because there's some great projects working with community partners and that's always fascinating to listen to to what they you know what they were asked to do and then how I came through because it's all a learning experience this of transferring some of the skills they've had from being analysts and and uh, you know project management they can use all that in these and then I guess the last thing probably the easiest thing to to bring up is the Queen's Doctoral Internship for University Administrators. We, this is our second year of running this program and we've got um, some interns um, coming to the School of Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Fellows to help us work on some projects. Um, and the thing about this, uh, as well as you know, career services have some, the research office has some. I know the McDonald Institute has got some interns as well, and, and some other departments have taken on some interns. And what's nice about this is it's an opportunity for our doctoral students to get a feel for 
being in an administrative office of a, a university. So not necessarily in a department to be a teacher or a professor or a researcher. This is more to be on the other side of being on the admin side. So we'll have some projects that we'll have our interns be working on, such as Research Week. What should that look like? We can say what we think it should look like, but at the end of the day, we want to make it worthwhile for our students that they're getting something from it. And also, how can we get more of Queen's community seeing the research that goes on at Queen's? So there'll be a combination of showcases as well as workshops. So, but what does that look like? Likewise, with the summer wellness series, you know, what do we want that to look like? You know, how many students are around? Is it worthwhile? And if so, what do we do? Do we have one day of let's get everyone together and have a big picnic and and some fun, or do we spread it out throughout the the summer? So these are the sorts of things that we're looking at to give proper projects. So we don't we don't want our interns coming in and be given, you know. Can you go and photocopy this? That's not the point of it. We want to give them solid projects that they can work on and, and develop in consultation with us because it is all part of the, the learning experience. And then hopefully at the end of their internship, they've got something that's been developed that we can then take to either continue on the development or implement straight away, So, uh, which is why there's a lot of consultation going on. So there's some really good things that... I believe that uh, it's going to be going on in the next term and looking forward to it. Yes. Wow. That's quite a lineup you got there for just the winter. I know. (laughs) My goodness. How do you keep up? So let me ask you one last question Mm -hmm. while I got you there, because that's that's a lot. That's a lot happening Mm -hmm. all the time. And that's on top of students having to work on their program requirements and that can include TA ships or teaching fellowships or the lab components, Mm -hmm. internships and things. So my question for you is what is your advice for current students and for students starting this term, Mm -hmm. since we're welcoming our new students uh, this winter. So what, what do you, what is the best way to keep up with these workshops and activities while managing Mm -hmm their program requirements where do they start really that's a really good question and it's going to come up to the individual a lot of the things that we do aren't necessarily needs to be done today so students need to figure out as they're going through their degree what do i need to know when or when have i got more time available to me to take up on other responsibilities or go to another workshop so it has to be a combination of do they have the time to do things And secondly, if I did it now, is it the right time or is this something I should be doing a little bit later because it's really not relevant for me today? So just because we have these workshops out there doesn't mean to say you have to do them all in one term. (laughs) You may do it in the the second year or the third year because how to write a literature review, you wouldn't be doing that in your first year. Mm -hmm. So do you need to do it now? If you've got time, yeah. maybe, and maybe you want to do it again later, just as a reminder, but don't do it thinking, oh, it's on there, so I have to do it now. You need to figure out when is the best time to do this, particularly, as you said, you know, the first year or so, there's coursework, so you've got that. You may be asked to be in a TA, so you've got those responsibilities, and, you know, who knows how much, how big that is. So you've got to play it up. I would actually be very cautious in my first term not to take on too much because you're still settling in right. and mm-hmm. you need to understand the 
you know, you've got to get comfortable with the environment. Are you, do you know where everything is? Do you know where the resources is? That's more important. Know where things are when you need them, as opposed to trying to do it all straight away. So talk to other people and say, you know, I've seen these sort of workshops or these events or these opportunities. Have you ever done any of these? And when did you do them? So ask other people, because some people might say, well, I did it, but I think I did it too early or the opposite. Right. I actually did it, but I did it really late. and I could have really have done it in the second year <laughs> instead of the third. Yeah. So talking to your peers is a good way of finding out what's important when. That is a great way to start. That is, that's great advice for students starting up and for current students as well. Because we're so, well, there's always this worry of how much is too much. Correct. Am I doing enough? Mm-hmm. Every, and it feels like yeah, every term, and I think it's the pace of it, that it makes you feel like it's the now that you have to do it now. And that's not necessarily the case. And I think, yes, getting to know yourself and learning to create that balance too in your life because things happen and Mm -hmm. sometimes it feels like this is the only chance that you get. But lucky for you, that's not the case because they're not going anywhere, I hope, (laughs) anytime soon. And if you feel like you haven't been able to keep up with all of these activities, there's always a newsletter every week from the School of Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Affairs. You can also check out the new website yes. for more information and the schedule for professional like professional development. <laughs> Am I missing anything, CJ DJ? No, I think I'd like to make one more point. Doing these extra pieces is up to the individual. Not mm-hmm. everyone needs to do workshops. Not everyone needs to participate. It's entirely an individual thing. What I don't want to see is someone saying later, I wish I had done such and such because I didn't even consider it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes people are doing workshops because it's helpful in their academics, such as how to write a literature review. That's an obvious connection to your to your work could be important for you if you've never done one of those before. But learning how to develop your LinkedIn profile may not be important right now for you. In fact, it doesn't help your academics per se, but you need to consider, well, it doesn't help my academics, but does it help me in another way, i.e. does it help me with the networking and getting my profile out there? So when is it important for me to do that? So don't disregard things, but don't do things just because they are there. Think about why. They're there mm-hmm. as an opportunity for you to take up if it's necessary for you. But make sure you yeah. know what is out there because then you can make a proper decision whether it's for you or not. That's true. That's that's a great way of, of putting it. It's really up to the individual. Correct. That's, that's true. Some of the workshops are helpful for certain skills, Correct. like public speaking, Correct. for example, time management and all of those things. And sometimes the workshop format, you can have all of this information and in practice, it's a bit more difficult, but something like DreamT, for example, mm-hmm. of GradChat can help you with delivery and with timing yourself right. and with content and, and, and all of that. So, yeah, be kind to yourselves. Yes, you know? always be kind to yourselves. Don't take on too yeah. much because that becomes too stressful. And at the end of the day, exactly. we want you to succeed with your degree because we want you to get through and be happy that you've done what you can to succeed. Absolutely. Well, unfortunately, our time, we're, um, well over. we're running out of, <laughs> yes, we're over time. <laughs> but it was lovely to have you 
back. Thank you. It was lovely to chat with you again. It's always fantastic to have these conversations together. And thank you again for this opportunity. It's really wonderful. Well, I, I, I can't wait for you to be back. And so. no, it won't be long. Well, thank you so much again for coming to your show. Yeah. And you, CJ the DJ will be back next week for a new episode of Grat Chat. So that's it, everyone. Another week of Grat Chat suddenly comes to an end. Don't forget that you can download this episode and any past episodes tomorrow via CFRC podcast or either on Google Podcasts, iTunes, and Spotify. So until the next time, yes. this is... <laughs> So you the DJ Bear and, and DJ the DJ <laughs> signing out with a big hooray. <laughs>for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.